Parshas Ekev. Um, we're going to begin with the beginning. And it will be because you will heed these ordinances, these laws, and keep them and perform them. That God, your God, will keep for you the covenant and the kindness that he swore to your forefathers. There's some type of conditional aspect to this, right? So you, uh, you will listen to these ordinances. Because you listen to them, God will respond by observing the covenant that he has made with Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe, etc. Um, and, and he will love you and he will bless you. And he will multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruits of your soil, your grain, your wine and your oil, the offspring of your cattle and the choice of your flocks in the land which he swore to your forefathers to give you. So we have here, by the way, this is a typical although you're going to discover it's atypical, but at first appearance, it's a typical Dvarim piece. Moshe Rabbeinu is at the moment, in his last few weeks of life, he is delivering very important messages to the nation. They're no longer going to have him as their inspirational leader. They're no longer going to be in the wilderness, protected from outside forces. And he is extremely concerned on both of those counts, that they're going to stray in the wrong direction. Therefore, he gives them certain warnings that will keep them, as you might say in English, on the straight and narrow. We want you to stay on the straight and narrow, says Moshe Rabbeinu. And you should know the benefits of staying on the straight and narrow are fantastic, because God has made all these wonderful promises to you, but they are Conditional. If you stay on the straight and narrow, everything that has been promised will come about. But if you don't, things are going to go wrong. Now, we don't have the if you don't piece in this um, Akev section. We're going to have it later in Parshas Kisovoi, um, and we're also going to see it um, in Parshas Nitzovim, and in other places as well. I mean, this week's Parsha, for example, we have the chapter... Um, that we say every single day in Kriya Shema, Vahoya Im Shomaya Tishmu'u. It's a very similar idea where if you do the things you're meant to do, everything's going to be good. And if you don't do the things you're meant to do, things are not going to be so good. So this is, is a. Is it lost in the translation of this first paragraph? What? There are different translations read that it comes more clearly as a condition. The only condition we're seeing here, and the one we're going to focus on, is that if you listen, it will be because you listen. It will be because you listen to these mishpatim, to these ordinances, to these laws. That's really what I'm going to focus on today. But you're going to see, I, I have presented it as typical. But as I mentioned earlier, you're actually going to discover that Parshas Ekev, this particular piece, is atypical. All pieces are atypical because, as you know, in the Torah, nothing is said superfluously. We now have to discover why this particular piece is included in Devarim. What does it teach us uniquely that is not um, contained in any other piece of a similar nature in Devarim? But Moshe Rabbeinu, all I wanted to do was give you the background, the context. The context is Moshe Rabbeinu is concerned about the future of the nation if they do not uphold the laws of God. That's, that is the fundament, that's the basis of all of the various speeches that Moshe Rabbeinu gives in Parshas Devarim, that he is concerned about the future um, of the Jewish nation. Will they be able to survive, as it were, the real world? You know, it's like a parent letting their child go. You know, you, you have your child, you look after your child, you educate your child, you keep them in cotton wool, as we say, and then one day they leave home. What's going to happen? So you sit them down on the sofa and you say, darling, honey, 
you know, the real world is not like home. Things are not quite the same as they are at home. Things can go wrong. How are you going to cope in difficult circumstances? What are you going to do when, you know, you're thrown a curveball? That is what Moshe Rabbeinu is doing throughout Devarim. He is concerned about the curveballs and how the nation will deal with it. Okay, so that's the context. Now let's look at Rashi. Because there is a very strange word, which I glossed over, but you should know that the Medrash and all the Mepharshim, all the commentaries, do not gloss over this word, and that very strange word is the word Ekev. What does the word Ekev mean? So the word, the way I've translated the word Ekev, is it means because. It's a conjunctive, okay? It will be because you listen to these mishpatim, that, etc., etc. Okay? But the word Ekev is not a normal word in Hebrew. I mean, you're a modern Hebrew speaker, right? Have you ever used the word Ekev in conversation? Never, we never use it. Do you ever write the word Ekev? Nobody writes that word. It's a unique word, even in classical Hebrew terms. That means in the type of Hebrew that we are used to seeing in the Torah and Tanakh, you do not see the word Ekev. Ekev is an unusual word. Now, we know what it means because of the context of the way it's presented to us. But the word Ekev has another meaning, and that's what Rashi, quoting a Medrash Tanchuma, is going to, uh, is going to focus on. V'hoyo Ekev tishmu'un, says Rashi. Im ha-mitzvoyz kalois she-odom dosh be-akevov tishmu'un v'shomar Hashem, etc. Yishmo l'cho haftochosoy. The word Ekev doesn't mean because, it means the heel. Your heel. Do you know what your heel is? It's the bottom of your foot. It's your uh, utmost extremity in the human body. The, the extremity, the bottom of your body, is your heel. If you grind your heel into those mitzvahs, The type of mitzvahs that you would grind your heel into, then things won't be good. But if you, those type of mitzvahs, the akev mitzvahs, the heel mitzvahs that you would normally grind your heels into, you observe them, then everything's going to be fine. So that's a synonym for consequences. It is a simile. Yeah, consequences. Yes, no, but it's a simile. The word akev has a double meaning. It means because, in the context as we've explained, but it also means heal. Heal mitzvahs. We've just, don't tread on a mitzvah. They're the type of mitzvah that you would normally tread on. If you listen to them, if you observe them, look what, I've, I've translated it here. The Hebrew text may be translated as, if you will hear the heel, if you will take heed of the heel, if you will listen to even the lighter commands, which a person might tread on with his heels, namely the kind that most people are inclined to treat lightly, then God, your God, will keep for you his commitment. In other words, there is a category of mitzvahs that are akev mitzvahs. Be careful with those mitzvahs, says Moshe Rabbeinu. He sat down the nation on the sofa, right? And he's told them, I've got something really important to tell you. I'm no longer going to be there for you. You're no longer going to be in this wonderful environment. Make sure that heel mitzvahs are mitzvahs that you take extremely seriously. Don't dismiss them. Don't treat them lightly. Don't imagine they're not important. They're extremely important. This entire shir is going to be about understanding this simile. Understanding the use of the word Ekev in the context of this instruction, this gentle instruction by Moshe Rabbeinu to make sure to be careful with Ekev mitzvahs, okay? And we're going to use as the primary source the Nesivas Sholem, although much of what is contained in the Nesivas Sholem is in fact taken from other sources, but he puts it together so beautifully, okay? 
Zesha Omar HaKosuv. This is why I took out the Tehillim before we started recording. The Posuk says, he says, he quotes, the Nasiba Shalom quotes a Posuk in Tehillim. Tehillim 49, and the um, Posuk is Posuk Vov, 49.6. Lama ira bimeira avoin akevai yesubeni. What's the uh, word that springs out at you from that Posuk? Akevai, right? Lama ira bimeira. Why should I fear in my days of evil, in bad days? Avain akevai yesubeni. The sin I trod upon surrounds me. Okay? So the idea here is that there is an avain akevai. There are sins of the akev, of the akev, which are a grave danger to David HaMelech. That's the way he's presenting it. Lama ira bimeira. Why should I be scared? The reason I should be scared is because avoin akevai yesubeni. What is he talking about? What is David Hamelech talking about in this pasuk in Tehillim? Let's continue with the Nasivas Shalom. Hayo David hadin. King David was frightened of the day of judgment. Va'omer and he said, Ribbona shalolam. God Almighty, any misyare mi mitzvahs achamurais shabatoyrashein chamurais. The truth is, I'm not frightened on the day of judgment from the difficult stuff which you demanded of me. But you know why? I have a very good defense. What's my defense? The defense is they were difficult. Imagine I would ask you now to run a 26-mile marathon, and you managed to run half a mile. And I say to you, how dare you? I told you you needed to run 26 miles. What are you going to say? Come on, 26 miles. I could just run half a mile. Okay, maybe I could have run a mile. I'm sorry, I could have run another half a mile. 26 miles? What is your expectation? Come on, right? Says David HaMelech, I'm not worried about mitzvahs chamurais, difficult mitzvahs. Because when I stand there in front of the Kisar Kovod, and David, and sorry, and God says to me, David, why didn't you keep the mitzvahs chamurais? I'll say to him, you know why? Because they were chamurais. They were difficult. I couldn't keep them. That's not what I'm concerned about. Do you know what I'm concerned about? What am I worried about? What am I nervous about? What is my anxiety? Mina mitzvahs hakalois. From the ones which were easy to do. Imagine God tells me, run half a mile, and I run 10 yards. And he says to me, uh, 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 excuse me, why didn't you run the half a mile? And he said, well, I couldn't be bothered. That's not a good excuse. It's the mitzvahs kalos that are most damning. Because I could have done them, and I didn't. Shebenei odom mashlichin oison tachas ikveen. That's the type of thing that people grind on them with their heel. They just say, ah, they're not important. I won't bother doing them at all. And what they don't realize is that they are their greatest protection. It's the mitzvahs kalois that are going to protect you ultimately, not the mitzvahs chamurais. Because the mitzvahs chamurais, you have a good defense. You can say, I couldn't do them. But the mitzvahs kalois, you don't have any defense. And the weird thing is, Psychologically, we just don't bother with those seemingly unimportant mitzvahs because we think, hmm, they're unimportant. Actually, they are your greatest line of defense. The things which are easy for you to do, the low-hanging fruit, those are the ones that you should do. What exactly are mitzvahs kalos? So, I've explained to you using analogies of marathons and shorter runs, sprints, what a mitzvah color is, as it were, when compared with a mitzvah chamura. But I haven't actually told you what a mitzvah color is. What is the type of mitzvah that a person would just naturally tread upon with their heel, they grind them into the ground. They don't think that, by the way, that's just an analogy for thinking they're not important. Who cares about them? They're not important. The type of thing that you just step on, 
right. Just a second. It seems to be that this Porsche is continuation of the previous one. Yes. In the end of previous one, Rashi said that those who love him and keep his commandments will be potentially rewarded. Yes. Which means he puts a dual relationship, or he classifies it as a dual relationship. It is a, a it is a relationship of recipro reciprocity. Not exactly, because of we do. He basically says that's a Rashi, the existentialist, who says judge me people based on what they say or what they do. So there are people who do commandments just because of they will be potentially awarded. I simplify it. No, no, that's a, that's a very low-level relationship. People who do it because of the love of God. Yes. And their connection in the Okay, soul. so, but either way, okay, so that's an interesting theological discussion. What does believing in God mean in terms of what you're doing for God? Okay, so uh, let's put it at its most basic. There's a relationship of reciprocity, which is I do for you, so you do for me. If I scratch your back, you'll scratch my back, right? That's a very basic relationship. By the way, most of human relationships are on that basis. It's an animal relationship, right? So that's the most basic relationship of all. I'll give you the most obvious example. I go into a store, I pay you money, you give me the product, right? Whatever that product may be. If I don't pay you the money, you don't give me the product. There's no, I have no relationship with you. It's horrible to put relationships into that framework, but that's the vast majority of the relationships you have with other people are on that basis. Then there's a different kind of relationship where you're giving more than you get back. So, um, for example, I'm going to give you a product. I know you're never going to pay me for it. I'm sorry to put it in such, you know, kind of prosaic terms. I know I'm never going to get any money for it, but I'm doing it because I want to be nice to you. I love you. I think you're wonderful. I want to be nice to you. And that's a loving relationship that is giving, even though it's not receiving. What is the relationship that we have with God? So the, the lowest level of relationship, although we're going to see later on that it's a subject for discussion, is a relationship with God who is ultimately powerful and I have to serve him. So, you know, if I don't serve him, I'm going to be condemned to eternal damnation, right? That's the kind of Mind, by the way, very often in the Christian church, that's how, that's how God is presented. Even though God is presented as a God of love, there's a lot of fear involved. There's a lot of consequences involved. That's right. So your love is based on dependency. And the moment, and the moment you uh, kind of stray from that dependency, you put your life in danger. Now, there's many different things that we can talk about in Devarim. That's a very, by the way, an important theme in Devarim, this reciprocity between God and the Jewish nation. What I'm going to present to you here in Parshas Ekev is something which is um, like a sort of parallel subject which explores this relationship between God and the Jewish nation. And the word Akev is a crucial word in understanding the relationship between God and his nation. What does it mean to be a subject of God? Talk about serfs and noblemen, right? What does it mean to be a subject of God? A serf of God. So, in the event that that relationship is very important for the future of the nation as a whole, we need to understand the dynamics of the relationship. Um, you know, we say every day, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. What's the next thing that we say? You have to love God, your God, not fear. By the way, fear is also important. But the first emotion that needs to come into the relationship is a relationship of love. This fits into that paradigm. Akev Tishmun, it's the little things that count. The big things also count. But clean. But the little things, the little things matter. What we're going to try and understand now is what little things mean.
What does it mean? How we under to understand little things, because by the way, what we may describe or define as little things may not be little at all. They may be very big. And what we may be describing as big may not be big. They may be very little. I don't know. I mean, you know, our uh, conception of chamurois and kalois may be wrong. We may be off. So the, the, the Nesiva Shalom is going to help us understand that. Okay. I, I haven't totally answered your point. But what I'm trying to do is create a context here, create a framework of, of the discussion for the discussion. Okay, so Shahoyot Sarich Loima Shaodom Mazalzel Bahem Madua Nichtivu Mitzvis Elu Batoira Beloshan Akev. Because says the Nasidus Sholem, the language of the Torah is a little bit misleading or at least confusing. The word that's used, Akev, heal doesn't really tell you that we negate or mistreat or treat badly these particular mitzvahs, because that word, as he uses it here, is mezalzel. I don't take them seriously. Uh, I dismiss them. That's not the word that's used. The word that's used is akev. It's a very specific word. Why does the Torah use that specific word? Oyd Yesh says, the Nesiva Sholem, What is the consequence for not mistreating mitzvahs that are defined through this word Ekev? I will love you, and I will bless you. Says the Nesiva Sholem, we don't find anything similar in relation to consequences for the, our relationship with God dependent on what we do in any other place. Gives examples. In a moment we'll look at the examples. What is generally the consequence for something? So if you do this, I will do that. Okay. This is quite different. By the way, in modern psychological terms, we get it. But thinking about you know, the Torah, the Torah is not written in the 21st century. The Torah is written 3,300 and whatever it is years ago, right? So what does the Torah mean, and I will love you? I will love you is a very strange consequence. Think about it. I'm not talking about, you know, we're so busy with California psychology like we, we kind of bought into it. But God telling you that he's going to love you, it's in the Torah. This is not some, you know, medieval philosopher. This is in the Torah. If you treat the mitzvah's kalais that you grind with your heel in the correct manner, I will love you. Thank you. Can I take that to the bank? Does it have any real meaning? Like... If you're, if you're looking at it from the point of view of, of a businessman, I'm going to give you this. What am I getting in return? A great feeling. You know, this sounds like 1960s hippie philosophy, right? Free love. That's not what it can mean. It does, can't mean that, right? It's got to mean something more. But have a look here what, what the, what the Nasiva Sholem quotes. There's another partial with a similar idea. If you follow my chukim, my statutes, what is the bracha that is given? I will give the rain in its correct time and the and the land will give its produce, will be very productive. Oh, okay, that's, a, that's something I can relate to. If you follow my statutes, I, being the person who follows them, will get a great crop in my field. That's a consequence that I can measure. It's a measurable consequence. Another one, the second parsha of Shema, which is also in this week's parsha. The rain is going to fall at the correct time. Everything's going to be great. That's a consequence that I can understand. I gave you this and I got that in return. That makes sense to me. 
I can't take that to the bank. I can't invest that in my stocks. What is va'ahevcha? It doesn't mean anything. I will bless you. What do you mean I will bless you? What, I'm going to sneeze and you're going to say bless you? I mean, what, what is that? It doesn't mean anything. Unless something has a practical kind of application, it doesn't have any meaning. Thank you, God. What happens if not? It's a quality of love. So, in other words, so as I'm listening, Lawrence Kohlberg and his, what is it, seven stages of yes. development. And the first one is the first one. If you stretch my back, I'll stretch. When did Lawrence Kohlberg live? In our generation. In our generation. Thank you very much. We're talking about 3,300 years ago. I realize what I'm saying. In other words, so, It's a very high level, but we need to understand because what is it the consequence of? Something very minimal. No, but it's very minimal. It's an ekev tishmun. If you, if you do the little stuff, va'ahevcha. What about the big stuff? I'm going to keep Shabbos now. I never kept Shabbos before, and I'm going to keep Shabbos. Do I get va'ahevcha in return? Do you think about that? I'm not getting va'ahevcha in return for that. Do you know what's going to happen if I keep those laws? I'm going to get matar artzachem beitoi. Oh, come on. I, I want to understand here what's, what, the, what the relationship is between the mitzvah's kalois and the va'ahevcha. I need to, and remember what David HaMelech said. What is he frightened of? The easy stuff. What do you mean the easy stuff? Why is he frightened of the easy stuff? So we see here that things which appear inconsequential are not inconsequential at all. They're extremely consequential. But we need to understand why. And we need to understand why the reward for that is va'ahevcha, which you're correctly defining as at a higher level than mata'artachem be'itoi. You understand that. By the way, you understand it because we live in a world where we've come to appreciate that level of recognition. That is not just about, I gave you a few dollars and you gave me something in return. Right, we, we understand that there's, there's, there's an emotional exchange and it's very important. There is an emotional exchange between God and the Jewish nation and it's very important. But we need to understand the dynamics of that. That's really what the Nesiva Shalom is talking about. He's trying, to un, he's trying to unpack it. He's saying we don't see anything like this elsewhere. We don't see a you do this and I'm going to love you in any other context. Uh, the only place we see it is here, via Ekev Tishmu'un. Okay? Let me just... talk about the bank, and using that analogy, that currency has to be same currency for God and Jewish people. And we still don't know what that currency is. I, I haven't got to it yet. It I, I haven't got to it yet, but I'm, what I'm saying is that we need to understand that there is something unusual going on here. And we need to unpack it. But we also know, and I think it's Hirsch who said it, that the only blessing which comes from whomever is the blessing based on love. So therefore, if I take the love as the ultimate value, that relationship has to be straightforward. I'm not, I, everything you're saying is correct, but I need to understand the immediate relationship between Ekev and Va'ahevcha. That's the, that's the question I'm dealing with. and I will love you. What is the connection between the Ekev, the mitzvahs kalos, the type of ones that, you, that you're stamping on with your heel, and the va'ahevcha that follows? Why? So just look at the still the first paragraph of the Siva Shalom. Ve'ilukan hascharhu, hushmar shem elekeh that is, that your benefit, your reward, yeah, will be, that God will love you. Why is it different here than in all other places? Okay, I know it's not Pesach, but uh, last week we mentioned Pesach, right? We saw, I was looking for the matzah, I didn't see it anywhere. But here we have, Why is this Ekev Tishbun different than in all other places where this dynamic is mentioned? That's the first paragraph of the Nesiva Sholem.
The Rizhina, one of the great rabbis, Hasidic masters, leaders of the 19th century, put forward the following suggestion. The Posuk says, The word Vahoya is an interesting word. Do you know what the word Vahoya means? It's a happy word. It's a word that connotes joy. Celebration. Why? What is the Rashi Tevis? The it's an acronym. Vav Hey Yud Hey. It's an acronym. You need to scramble the letters. Who Yismachu Hashamayim v'Sogel Haaretz. The heaven is joyful, and the land or the earth celebrates. The word Vahoya contains in it simcha. It is a happy word. So you see that it's not just the Ekev word which is interesting. The Vahoya word which introduces Ekev is also interesting. Ekev moira aldoiros achreinim shal ikvasa And he now uses a word allusion, a word association. There is this concept of the time the uh, painful, difficult time that will uh, mark the end of days in terms of the Messianic era. We call it Ikvisa de Meshicha, the end of time that is going to bring about the Messianic era. Ikvisa de Meshicha, you recognizing that word? What's the first three letters of the word Ikvisa? Ayin, Kuf, Ves, Ikvisa, Ekev de Meshicha says the original Rabbi Israel of Rijin, says as follows, the word Ikvasa de Meshicha is hinted at by the word Ekev in our parsha. You need to understand that there is a direct line that links every soul of the Jewish nation from the beginning of our nationhood until the end of time. It is one straight line that goes all the way through Jewish history. It's a koma shelema. It's one straight um, uh, line that runs through Jewish history. And in a human body, there's, you know, there's the top of the human body and there's the bottom of the human body. It's determined by gravity, right? When we stand up straight, what is on top? The head. What is underneath the head? The body. What's at the bottom? Your legs, your feet, right? So, In the same way, the Jewish, um, the history of the Jewish soul runs through that same line of Rosh, Guf, and Raglaim. The, the head of a human body has unique qualities that don't exist elsewhere in the body. What are they? What, is the, what, what does the head represent? A, the ability to discern the world around them. You can see the world, you can hear the world, you can appreciate the world. There is a sensitivity to the world around you that is based on the functions in your head. That is the Rosh. That is the beginning. What is with the body? Um, your heart resides in your body. So below your head. So your heart if you're going to understand what the Rishna says, which, which we tend to associate with emotions, your heart has no direct relationship. It doesn't have the same senses as your head. It can't see and it can't hear. But there is a certain sensitivity that your emotions have, which are not to do with what you see and what you hear, the vibe, right, that you emotionally feel. That is symbolized by the heart, which is contained in your body, not in your head. Contained in your body. Ach, 
הרגליים אין שייך בהם בכלל ראייה ושמיעה למוחושס ולסיכלס. What is the part of the body that has absolutely no sensitivity to anything at all? It's your feet. Your feet, the only function your feet serve is that they serve the rest of the body. They get you from one place to another. You walk from one place to another, you're using your feet. In the sense that they have any involvement with, you know, the way you relate to the world around you, they don't really have any involvement. I mean, I'm not a reflexologist. I'm sure if I was... Um, a reflexologist, I would disagree with this particular um, assertion of the Rijana Rebbe. However, on, the, on a very basic level, I think we understand what he's trying to present. Head, body, feet. The three levels, head being the highest, body being the second level, feet being the lowest level of sensitivity to the world around you. And the same thing is with the souls of the generations of Jewish history. The first generations of the Jewish nation had the ability to see and had the ability to hear. By the way, in the Zohar, which is the book of Kabbalah, we use the words when... Uh, or the author uses the words tochazi when he wants to teach you something. Come and see. In the Talmud, it doesn't say come and see, it says come and hear. Toshema, come and hear. Chazi, seeing something, is the most powerful form of communication of information. Hearing is never going to be quite the same as seeing. Never. So, at a certain level, the Kabbalah has the highest form of communication of information that exists in the spiritual world. The Talmud is at the next level, Toshema. You can hear it, but you can't necessarily see it. But here we have that the earliest generations, he's using the same terminology, have this ability of both Tochazi and Toshema. They can see it and they can it. They stood at Mount Sinai and they experienced God with all their senses. None of us can say the same thing, right? We did not experience God with all our senses. They saw God and they heard the word of God. But the next level of generations, as Jewish history progressed, the next level of souls didn't have this ability of tochazi and toshema. Lev shomea. They had a heart which appreciated, which had a sensitivity to God, but which hadn't actually experienced God in this very direct way. Shekvar loihoyo etzlam re'iyo mamish. They didn't see God in quite the same way. So let's take Chazal as the example. Those who composed the Talmud, they didn't have that same level of experience with God that the generation at Mount Sinai did. They didn't have it. But they had a, an unbelievable connection with God. They had the Toshema connection with God. They could intellectually relate, spiritually even, relate to God. They were sensitive to God's existence in a way that was different than the earlier generations, which is going to be better than those that um, succeeded them. But subsequent generations are at the level of legs, feet, which neither see nor hear. And if you're going to look at the leg, the, the most bottom part of the leg, the part of the leg that represents the ultimate, the lowest level of all, is your heel. The, your heel is what steps onto the ground. <speaking in Hebrew> Do you know which generation that is? Ours. It's the generation that's going to encounter Messiah, the one just before the Messianic age. Shehahester Godel Bahem, the lack of God, the distance that that generation has from God is the greatest of any generation. Kolkach, Shein Royim, Vein Shoimim Klum. 
so much so that they neither see nor hear. And is it beautiful? It's just wonderful, isn't it? It just shows you how you can present a picture which is so, it's so compelling and we all relate to it, right? We completely understand that the earliest generations of ahead and the generations that follow all kind of sink slowly into the body and then finally we are the Akev generation. The Choma Sheyesh, hold on, let me turn the page. Sheyesh Lahem Hurak Koyach what do we have? What does the Ikvasa, the Meshicha generation have? The only thing that we have is faith. We don't see God. We don't encounter God in quite the same way as previous generations. We don't have that ability. Our distance is too great, but we have the power of faith. She'afilu be'ikvasa de Meshicha, even in that era of the of the messianic age, where the hiddenness of God is the greatest that it has ever been. Nonetheless, the Jewish nation believes in God with the fullest of faith. Now we understand. What did we translate it as? And it will be because you listen. Vahoya is a happy word. Ekev is the Ekev, Ikvasa, the Mashiach generation. Tishmu'un, but you're still listening. You're still connected to God. Shehu simcha lemalo lefon of Yisbarach The highest level of joy that God can ever experience from any generation. The v'yismuchu ha-shamayim v'sogel ha-aretz kasher Ekev tishmu'un. You know what? The fact that Jews who stood at the foot of Mount Sinai and heard God say, that they believed in God, God is happy, but it's not the same level as you and me. We never heard God at Mount Sinai. We've never experienced or encountered God at that level. And we still come to shul? And we still put on tefillin and kiss the mezuzah and love God? That's amazing that anybody after the terrible events of Jewish history can still believe in Jewish nationhood, can still believe in the power of Jewish identity, in the power of the Torah, that we can come and pray to a God and we could, you know, how many people have you heard who have said, where was God in the Holocaust? I'm not going to bother. Who can blame them, right? Logically? Rationally, who can blame them? But you and me, we're coming to hear a shir, we're coming to shul, we daven, we eat matzah on Pesach, we eat in a sukkah on sukkahs. V'hoya, ekev tishmun, yismuchu ha-shamayim v'sogel ha-aretz, because you, ekev people, are listening to God. That is unbelievable. That's what ekev means. You are using the words listen and hear, and those two words have different meanings. Yes, I, I accept what you're saying. I'm using, the, I'm interchanging them, and they're not, it's not deliberate. No, but Obviously. what he's saying is, he says that there is understanding drawn from knowledge. That's the point when we hear, we got the message. The fact that we have, the only thing that's been conveyed here is the fact that we, the Akev generation, have a relationship with God is a cause for great celebration for God. Yismuchu ha-shamayim v'sogel ha-aretz. That's the point. The Vahoya is to tell you that the Akev generation who listens are going to cause God's greatest joy. She'af b'doyre shal keitz v'soif ha-golos, even the generation right at the end of the exile, bizman ikvusa de ikvusa de Mashiach, at the very end of time. That the hiddenness of God is so great that nobody sees and nobody hears, nobody listens. Okay? Nonetheless, that generation listens with the strength and the power of faith of earlier generations. Yismuchu ha-shamayim v'sogel ha-aretz. U-mavu'ar l'fizeh 
Now we understand the benefit, the consequence which God um, um, associates with Vahoya Ekev Tishmun. I will love you and I will bless you. Shehu Midah Keneged Midah. It is a reciprocal um, consequence. You loved me. Even though everything about the world militated against that love. Everybody told you, don't waste your time with God. God doesn't exist. Don't waste your time with Judaism. It's an ancient faith of a bunch of primitives. And nevertheless, you were the Vahoyo Ekev Tishmu'un people. As a result of which, I can say, Vahavcha uveirachacha. I will love you and I will bless you. You did it to me, I will do it to you. The level of this faith, of this, of this particular generation, of these generations, the final generations of time, are an indicator of their great love of God. I love God despite everything that tells me that I shouldn't be wasting my time. I nevertheless, I wake up in the morning and I say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekeinu Hashem Echad, V'ahavto es Hashem Lekecha B'chol Levovcha V'chol Nafshecha V'chol Moidecha. I love God. Nothing is going to sway me. You should know, God loves you. That is the consequence. There's a yin and a yang. She'af mitoich ha'hester she'ein royim ve'ein shoyimim, even though there's a hiddenness you don't see, you don't hear. Ma'aminim be'emunah sholeimah, you believe, they believe, this gener- these generations believe with an ultimate form of faith. Ve'alkeim b'schar goydel ahavas Hashem. And therefore, as a result, the benefit from this great love of God, that they have, they benefit from the, from the bountiful love of God upon them. I think we have time for one more answer, although I've included much more in the source sheet, which I will leave you to look at online. I'll post it. Um, on the website, but I'm going to go through one more answer. Three more paragraphs, let's get through it. Oid yesh loimar. Another answer of the Nesivas Sholem. Odom yeshnam gimel chalokim. A person has three separate parts. So, so far, the idea was that the Akev generation, we talked about history, is the arc of history. Now we're going to talk about the individual. So there was an Akev in history. Now we're going to talk about the Akev of the individual. Have a look. Yeshnam Gimel Chalokim. There's three parts to a person. Midois Hamayach, Midois Halev, or Midois Ha'evorim. You have the rational, you have the emotional, and you just have the stuff that people do, which are neither related to rational to emotional, right? It's just instinct, instinctive behavior, animal behavior. What's going on in your rational brain, we hope, is all the different thoughts and ideas and ideals that you come with based on your rational conclusions. You go through, you reflect on a subject, and you, you draw from it certain conclusions. We all like to think of ourselves as intelligent, not just sentient. Okay, that's what differentiates us from animals, that we have a brain, and we can reflect on things and come to conclusions based on the information that we have. That is the moyach. So, your, your heart here um, is a representation of your desires as a person. Whatever those desires may be, they may, they may not be rational, um, for example, falling in love isn't rational necessarily. It could be. There could be rational involved in it. But if you fall in love with something, that's not a rational thing. It is an emotional thing. You have an emotional connection with that other person. But it, it, it is you know, reflected in everything in your life. Your emotions are not necessarily rational. Okay, I think we can all agree on that. Then you have something else. 
וחלק האיברים התחתונים עד העקב הוא מודור התאוויס. Do you want to know what they are? What is it that your limbs represent? Your limbs, and ultimately, the ultimate form of limb is your heel, because it's the furthest away from your head and your heart. They are just the stuff that you do, because instinctively, that's the way you behave. It's your animal behavior. What is a healthy person? By the way, I'm not talking about healthy because you eat health food or because you exercise. I'm talking about a healthy, um, holistically healthy person is when all these three aspects of a person are aligned with each other. They are in line with each other. They coalesce beautifully together. Your rational behavior, your emotional behavior, and your instinctive behavior are all part of one whole. You know, Nesivas Sholem is saying something credible here, right? Modern psychology has discovered this. The moment there is a dissonance between your emotions and your rational thought, you're not a healthy person, right? You need to go to see your shrink. The moment your instinctive behavior goes against your rational behavior, you know you're in deep trouble. I'll give you an example. Somebody who is addicted to drugs, there may be a part of his rational brain or her rational brain that says, I mustn't take drugs. But instinctively they're drawn to do the thing they're addicted to. There is a dissonance between the brain and the instinct, between the moyach and the evorim. I'm going to do the thing I shouldn't do, even though my brain tells me I shouldn't do it. Right? What is a healthy person? Holistically healthy. When your brain, your emotions, and your actions are all aligned with each other. Do we all agree on that? I think it makes a lot of sense. Okay. Continues the Nesiva Shalom. V'ashleimu shel ish Yehudi hi kasher yahadusoi chadura b'koyma shleima b'tachtiim shniimu shlishim. Religiously, the same thing applies. If you want to know what a healthy Jew means, holistic Jew, is if your brain, your emotions, and your actions all match up with each other. If your actions don't match up with what's going on in your head, you're in a bit of trouble. So you could have people, by the way, who keep mitzvahs externally. They're keeping mitzvahs. They're doing all the things. They've never broken Shabbos before. They've never eaten treif. But in their brain, they don't buy into it or emotionally they don't feel connected to it, then you're in trouble. That's not a healthy person, right? That's not what he calls here, shleimus shel ish Yehudi. A Jewish person needs shleimus in all three levels. Vezepirish v'hoyo ekev tishmun. Now we understand the posuk v'hoyo ekev tishmun. Ekev merumaz l'akevim sheim soif haguf. The Akev part means that the ultimate form of behavioral um, uh, um, completeness is if every level from the top to bottom is complying with whatever it is, with your Jewish belief system. That you're listening, you're hearing, you're complying, your involvement with every aspect of Judaism goes right the way through from your mayach to your lev to your akev. And this is why it's that the word vahoya is considered loshin simcha. Do you know what joy is? What is a happy person if every part of that person is aligned with every other part of that person? That what my hands do is what my brain wants my hands to do and what my heart feels my hands should do. Does that make sense? It's beautiful, isn't it? At every level, there's joy, there's simcha, there's a pleasure in the fact that you are behaving in this way. The greatest joy that anyone can experience, he when every part of the person is in uh, alignment with every other part. Not just that your brain 
and your heart hear the things that God wants you to do. Right? That it's not that every aspect, you know, you've got people who say, um, you know, you ask people, are you observant? Are you religious? Are you? Yeah, I'm a Jew in my heart. You know what I call them? Cardiac Jews. I'm a Jew in my... What do you mean you're a Jew in your heart? I don't keep a mitzvah. I've never eaten kosher in my life, but in my heart I'm a Jew. What do you mean you're in a heart and you're a Jew? It doesn't mean anything. It's like, it's like a husband who has uh, affairs all the time. And he said, but in my heart... I'm a good husband. What do you mean you're in the heart, you're a good husband? Your behavior is not a good husband behavior, right? You can't be in your heart a good Jew. You have to be in your akev. Your akev has to be a good Jew. Instinctively. Your instinct has to be a Jewish instinct. Not just your brain. Oh, I love learning Gomorrah. It's so intellectually stimulating. Uh-uh. That's not what Gomorrah is about. Your Gomorrah is meant to stimulate your intellect. It's meant to inspire your heart and it's meant to make sure that you behave in every aspect of your life as a Jew. Ad ad That you are permeated with a feeling of Judaism in every aspect of your being. Marvelous stuff this, isn't it? says Shina halicha, that the in every aspect of um, physical behavior, bekulam yesh oisiyos yud hey. In every one of those, you have the words, you, the letters yud and hey. Yud and hey is God, right? Achila yud hey yud lamad hey yud hey. Shasiya ends with yud hey, drinking, eating, drinking. Shina sleeping yud nun hey. Yud and hey. Halicha, going. You have yud, chof, hey, yud, hey. Every one of physical activities in Hebrew have the letters yud and hey. When you come to the service of God in the Hebrew language, avoida, mitzvah, kedusha, Torah. Avoida, avoida means service, mitzvah means commandment. Kedusha means holiness. Torah is Torah. Do you have Yud-Hey in those words? No, what, what, what letters do you have? Vav-Hey. Yesh Oisiyos Vav-Hey. You don't have Yud-Hey. It's a second level. Surely, the holier spiritual aspects of a person's life should have the letters Yud-Hey. And the less spiritual, I mean, you're walking, I'm going to do a mitzvah, should have vav hey. Why is it reversed? Why do the mundane activities of life have yud hey, which is the name of God, and the vav hey, which is also part of the name of God, is, is uh, uh, in the aspects of life which are spiritual? You want to understand it? You need to understand that the Basis, the fundament of God's will. She Yehudi Yachdir es Oyhaelikus Af Besoifa in Yonim Agashmiim Kachila Shasia Shina Vahalicha Chadoime, because God wants you to infuse in the most mundane aspects of life His name in the highest level. Vahoya Akev Tishmuun, your Akev has to have Yud Hey in it, not Torah. Torah, of course, has God in it. But your Akev has to have God in it. And if you manage to achieve that, it's even at a greater level than... Of course, Torah is holy. Of course, when I study Gomorrah, I feel spiritual. But if when I act out my life, in every aspect of my life... I feel spiritual, that is a greater achievement than the study of Gomorrah and feeling spiritual. Of course I'm going to feel holy when I learn. And that's why it says in the Apostle, If you want to understand the highest level of joy and pleasure that God can get, is when your body becomes 
a vehicle, an instrument of spirituality. When a Jew manages to infuse every part of his body with holiness and spirituality and a sensitivity to God all the way through to the, to the bottom region, as it were, to the heel. That is the ultimate form of service. And now we understand what David HaMelech was most frightened about. He wasn't concerned with what was going on in his head. He knew in his head, I'm a good Jew. That's what David HaMelech said. He knew in his heart, he's a good Jew. Right? I'm a Jew in my heart. David Amelech could for sure say in his brain, in his heart, he's a good Jew. What is it that's going to bring me down? It's my Okev, my Akev that's going to bring me down. Not my Mayach, not my Lave. It's my actions all the way through to my feet. That is what's going to take me down. That's why it says, well, You need to understand the ultimate form of being a good Jew is if you can get your Akev to behave like a good Jew. We'll leave it here for today.